1: This is a crowd podcast. It's a warm Friday afternoon in May 1998. Justin Fashionu is checking into a gay sauna in London's East End. He's a handsome man, Justin. Still got the looks of a footballer. The staff at the spa, Chariot's Roman Spa. Fancy name, not in a fancy part of London. he's in a good mood. He has a sauna, then a swim, then a few drinks. He jokes around with a few other customers, (laughs) grins his famous grin. A final orgy of homosexual lust. Wait, what? That's how the Sun newspaper describes that afternoon. Someone who works at the spa remembers it differently. It's Fashionoo alone with another customer in a private room. This is how they put it. Perhaps he just wanted a little bit of warmth and comfort before he went. After a couple of hours, Fashion News shaves and dresses. He leaves the sauna around 8 p.m. looking spick and span. That's a quote from another witness in the Times newspaper. He crosses the street into a dark alley. There's a garage at the end with metal doors. They're padlocked. So he climbs over them, cutting his hands on the jagged edges. He lands in darkness. Police reports say Fashionu took a mirror from a wall and put it on top of the bathroom sink. That's police reports. Facts, not an explanation. Does he just want to look at himself one last time? Is there a Hollywood-style moment where he asks his reflection for answers? Answers are never easy with Fashionu. He slashes at his wrist with a sharp object. That's also from the police report. Then he gets out his diary and a pen. He writes a short note and places it on the toilet seat. In that diary are names and numbers for hundreds of friends. He could call one of them and things could be different. So why doesn't he? There's a pile of old tyres in the garage. Fashionu makes a stack of them right underneath a metal beam in the roof. He spots a long electrical cord and makes a noose in one end, climbs on top of the tires and swings the other end of the cord around the beam, tightens it up and slips his head into the noose. Does he say one last prayer? Is he scared of what he's going to do? Does he think about what it might do to the people who still care about him? Maybe he's just hoping for peace. More of those questions without answers. So this is what he does. He pulls the cord tighter, uses his athlete's strength to kick the top tyre from the pile and drops to his death. Here's what puzzles us. Justin Fashionu should have died a pioneer and a hero, the first black million-pound British footballer the first footballer still playing to come out as gay. But that's not what happens. Not then. This is what the papers say about him, so this is what people think. A fantasist. A swindler. A suspected rapist. Fashion news, life and death, they reflect the time he lived in. Racism and easy assumptions. Bigotry. Cheap labels. Headlines to sell tabloid papers. But here's another question for today. How much has really changed? This is Death of a Sports Star, a new podcast from Crowd Network. It shouldn't be any more tragic when a sports star dies, but it feels like it is. We feel like we know them. We feel like there's a connection, something between us. And that's why this podcast exists and why we have episodes about Kobe Bryant, Payne Stewart, and sadly, many more. But it's just Justin who we'll be talking about after this break.
0: Hit Pass Moto, sponsored by Moto America, is the show that keeps you up to speed on the latest in motorcycling and brings the biggest names in motorcycle racing right to you. From candid interviews with the top names in racing... Providing insights into the trends and trendsetters driving the motorcycle industry, we have you covered. New episodes are available every Thursday at pitpassmoto.com and on your favorite podcast
1: app. Ride on! So, we know how it ends for Justin Fashionu. It begins in February 1961 in Hackney, only a couple of miles from that spa and that garage in East London. There's four kids. He's the third. His father, Patrick, is a law student from Nigeria. His mother, Pearl's a nurse from Guyana. When Justin is two, his dad goes back to Nigeria. His mum stays, but she doesn't think she can raise four kids on her own. So Justin and his little brother, John, are sent away to an orphanage on the other side of the city. How does that make you feel, do you think? Abandoned? Let down? Justin can't trust people now. That's how he feels. They're in the orphanage for two years, Justin and John. Then life changes again. Alf and Betty Jackson are from a tiny village up in Norfolk, about as different to London as you can get. They want to foster one boy, but when they meet Justin and John, the idea of separating the brothers seems impossible. So they go home with two. And home is like something from an Agatha Christie novel, a chocolate box cottage with fields and an orchard. It may as well be another country. There are no other black people. There are hardly any people at all, but it works for two shy kids. Alf's a precision engineer. He sticks up a set of goalposts. The boys sing in the church choir. They do musicals. You watch from the outside, and it all seems fine. They're lively, these two. They're boys. But Betty is about manners and respect. Respect for others. For her lads, too. When Justin is famous, Betty is interviewed by the BBC. She says the boys once told her they wished they were white. Here's what she said back. You're black. You're going to stay black. And you're going to be proud of being black that's the good stuff from someone who loves them but would you be able to forget being abandoned by your real mum and dad? Alf and Betty have a son Edward he remembers Justin having awful nightmares asleep but lashing out fists everywhere another time when he's 14 Justin punches his own bedroom window football helps for now Justin's grown tall and strong. He's a decent amateur boxer too, but it's football where no-one can stop him. At 17, he signs for Norwich, the big local club. Betty tries to keep him steady. Here's what she says to the BBC. We're proud of him, but the glamour of football is overrated. I hope he can keep his feet on the ground. And that's what he does at the start. He doesn't drink much. He stays after training for extra practice. He goes to a private gym to get bigger and faster. This isn't happening for most footballers in 1979. They're on the beers. They're in the pub. Maybe there's less driving them on, less to escape from. Maybe that explains the impact he makes. A debut for the first team at 17, up front where the goals and glamour are. He's on match of the day. Primetime TV highlights, knocking defenders about. He scores his first professional goal against Leeds. Leeds are hard men. Fashanu is harder. He scores another against Chelsea. They're hard too. Fashanu collides with their goalkeeper. And it's the goalkeeper who gets stretched off, unconscious. It starts looking easy. On the pitch, he's fast and dangerous. He scores goals. In interviews, he's all smiles, comes out with great lines. The newspapers and radio and TV, they love him. All that rags to riches backstory. Everyone's hooked, everyone on his side. Except they're not. This is Britain in the early 1980s. You get told, you're a black man in a white world. You're a black footballer you get the chance. Monkey noises, bananas thrown on the pitch, letters in the post telling you to go home. So where's that for Fashionu? Norfolk? The orphanage? A flat with a mum and dad can barely remember, even when he tries? This is how it feels. He scores twice in a big win over the European champions, Nottingham Forest. That's not the bit everyone's talking about. They're talking about when he picks up a corner flag in another game and pretends to hold it like a spear. He does that because thousands of people in the ground are screaming at him to go back to the jungle. Here's another story. It's from a book about fashion by Nick Baker called Forbidden Forward. He's out with another teammate who's black. Two skinheads come up to them outside a pub. Shaved hair, bomber jackets, big leather boots, monkey noises and abuse. Fashanu knocks them both out. He gets asked about racism in an interview. He says he wants to show a black person can do great things in life, whatever angry white men throw at them. That's Fashanu. That's what's expected of a young black lad. You're meant to be the one proving yourself all the time. And so he does. It's February 1980. Match of the day is huge. There's only three TV channels. And this is the big show. Saturday night, football highlights, when there are almost no games on live. All in colour, in a world that's about black and white. It's Norwich, Fashion New's team against Liverpool, the best team in the country. Should be only one winner. Late in the game, that's the way it's going. Liverpool are 3-2 up, then it happens. You can't take your eyes off New. Bright yellow shirt, green shorts, muscles everywhere. He's nowhere near the goal when he gets the ball. The pitch is all brown mud. You can't control a ball when it's all bobbles and mess. Yet that's exactly what we see him do. Flicks it up with one foot, swivels, smashes it with the other. A sweet curving arc up over the defender, over the goalkeeper, into the top corner. Here's how the TV commentator reacts. Oh, what a goal! That's a magnificent goal! Here's how Fashenu reacts. One finger raised. No smile. No celebration. It's everything about Fashenu in one frozen moment. Brilliant. Troubled. Different. He's 18. Liverpool, they're interested. They've seen the talent up close, but so too of Nottingham Forest and it's them who move his life along again. They pay a million pounds. No one's ever done that for a black player. No one's ever done that for a teenager or for someone who hasn't yet played for his country. Whatever you think his country might be. Fashion Who's not a kid anymore. Even if he can't leave his childhood behind, he has money and he's got attention. Remember the church choir and the musicals? He's singing again, this time on a record. It's called Do It Cause You Like It. On the cover, he's wearing a red leather jumpsuit. He buys himself a sports car. He's got his name on the side. Here's the plan. Every goal he scores, he'll put a sticker of a football on the door. Like a fighter pilot chalking up kills. Like a man who's all confidence. Like a man who's proven himself all the time but you can't keep proving yourself. Not when the standards are different for you. He doesn't score in his first game or his second. He doesn't score in his fifth or sixth. He's nine games in before the first one comes. One sticker doesn't make you look like a hero. It makes you look stupid. It makes you the target instead. His manager at Nottingham Forest says what he wants. It's what makes Brian Clough what he is. It can make him sound cruel too. Clough wants goals. He doesn't want a player who gets his own fitness trainer. He takes that as an insult. Someone who leaves his sports car where everyone can see, who gets parking tickets and laughs. He sees that as an insult to the fans. How hard they work, the pennies they watch. What he really doesn't like is these rumours about Fashionu and his private life. Football thinks it's all about men. Real men. Tough lads. Drinking in pubs. Girls on their arms. It's never about men who like other men. Not openly. Ever. Fashanu has had girlfriends. School friends and Norwich teammates talk about them in that biography by Nick Baker. He's moved one girl into his new home in Nottingham. But he's also seen around the city's gay scene. And he doesn't seem to care who knows. There's one bar called Part Two. Brian Clough finds out fashion who has been in there lots and this is how he reacts why do you keep going to that bloody puffs club there's more Clough drops him from the first team now he's in with the hopefuls the ones who aren't quite good enough the reserves then he's put up for sale you can't miss the message we don't trust you We don't want you. Abandoned again. Sometimes managers can be father figures. Fashionu wants one, but it won't be Clough. Sometimes a genius with his players. To Fashionu he's cold and uncaring, scary. And so it builds. Other players go up to Fashionu. You queer? Fans chant things at him. One of the newspapers, a tabloid all about scandal and big headlines, hints that he's gay. Fashion sues because that's what you have to do. You can't admit to it, not as a footballer. He wins, but it's not really a victory. Now he has to be even more secretive about who he really is. If he even knows. With Fashion it's all about looking for those answers. Where do you belong? Who wants you? who might be the one you can trust. He looks for God. Like all the things he tries, it brings more problems than answers. At the Pentecostal services, they keep telling him homosexuality is a sin. He looks for Clough, who sometimes thinks he's God, but Clough doesn't want him. He sends him on loan to Southampton. Smaller club, less money. He looks for his dad, his foster father Alf has died. So Fashionu goes to Nigeria. The meeting does not go well. He comes back to England with none of those questions answered. It starts okay at Southampton. He's still got talent, but Southampton don't have the money to keep him. And Clough doesn't have the patience. Back at Nottingham Forest, he's not even allowed at the training ground. When he doesn't move, because Fashionu is sick of being moved... They call the police to make sure he does. This is Clough's final line when he moves him on again anyway, this time to Notts County. That goal he scored against Liverpool conned me out of a million quid. Here's what Fashionoo says years later. That move was the biggest mistake of my life. Notts County and Nottingham Forest are big rivals. Their home grounds are so close you can see one from the other. County don't want forest rejects and they don't want players who aren't real men. They do like Fashionu's goals. Seven in 15 games in his first season there. Two the next year to get a draw at Manchester United. Notts County never get draws at Manchester United. But it's never easy with Fashionu. A couple of days after those goals, people singing his name without the insults and scorn. He gets a bad gash on his knee. It gets infected and he can't play. He has operations, and they don't fix it. The team goes down a league. They need his goals. They go down again, and now he's on the move again. A new club, a different surgeon. He goes to America and spends fortunes on treatment. He goes back to religion. He starts speaking in tongues. There's no place like home. Los Angeles, then Canada, then East London. Different clubs, same result. He goes to West Ham, proper hard club Close to where he was born, close to where it ends They have these big communal baths after matches Everyone piles in, cleans themselves off When Fashionu steps in, two of the other players climb out He's lost his parents and he's a football orphan now too So he puts trust in another manager at a smaller club Frank Clark is a nice man When Fashenu tells him he's gay, that he's thinking of coming out, Clark's fair. The papers might be brutal, but we'll support you. Fashenu changes his mind, keeps his head down, fights the fear. The knee is bad now. He hasn't got the speed he used to have. He's not scoring the goals he used to score. Football picks you up and leaves you behind. There are thousands of big, strong, fast kids who want to play football... Why would anyone take a risk on a weirdo with a dodgy knee? This is Britain in 1990. You can't be gay and you can't escape the tabloids. They make fortunes for the men who own them by selling millions of copies a day. They sell millions of copies by telling tales, big ones, juicy ones, ones you can't ignore. They're a dark mirror reflecting everything you want to believe and everything you don't. And this is how it works. One of them calls him. We're putting you on the front cover. We're gonna say you're gay. You don't get a choice. You can either talk to them and they tell your story, or you don't talk to them and they tell it without you. The only choice is which devil you dance with. So Fashionu makes a few calls, speaks to the big rival paper. We'll pay you 70 grand. It'll be your story. It'll be your cash. Remember fashion news, little brother John? He's not little anymore. He's a big, lumpy striker for Wimbledon. A big, lumpy team. He's won the FA Cup, which is as good as it gets back then. He's even played for England. He's the outsider kid who made it inside. And he hears about this plan. And he's furious. It is brother at what he's about to say. He doesn't know what's true and what he doesn't want to be true. This is what he says later. When he said he was gay, I just thought he was doing it for attention. So he offers Justin 75 grand to bury the story. We're brothers. I'll help you help me. It's too late. You can't miss the headline on the front page of The Sun on that October day. One million pound soccer star. I am gay. It's worse than John could ever have imagined. The Sun wants bang for its buck. You get nothing for free with the tabloids. Justin has invented stories about sexual liaisons with big politicians. It's a sensation. It's everywhere. And not in a good way. At least for Fashanu. This is how the world reacts. John publicly disowns his brother, telling him he's shamed the family name. A columnist in a newspaper called The Voice, that's a paper aimed at the black community, calls him pathetic and unforgivable. There's no public support from football. A German player says, one wouldn't play that hard against someone like that because of a certain fear of AIDS. This is where we are. This is how bad it is. Sympathetic friends are upset he hasn't felt able to tell them. The rest of his friends avoid him. He goes to Canada, to Newcastle, to smaller and smaller clubs he signs for Torquay, a little town on the south coast. Before he signs, the chairman feels he has to ask his players if anyone has a problem sharing a changing room or hotel room with Fashionu. At least nobody puts the hand up. It's not easy. Players making jokes about dropping soap in the shower, pressing the sides against the wall when the new teammates are around. And you laugh along, because if you don't, you stand out too. On the field, you can't laugh at it. This is what he hears some fans chanting at one ground: "He's bent, he's queer, he takes it up the rear, Fashion. fashionu." At another ground, it's faggot and puff. He gets bananas thrown at him. When he scores the winner that day, he runs towards the fans, bends over, and wiggles his backside. When they play the same team again later that season. He loses his temper instead. Too many bad tackles, sent off by a ref who's not interested in excuses. Fashionu's scoring regularly again, but Torquay get relegated anyway. And the stuff about Fashanu being a swindler and liar, this is where it picks up speed. He's playing the tabloid game now, like some celebs do when they can't earn the old money any other way. He sells a story about an affair with a soap star. He's left Torquay, owing the chairman money. So he goes again, this time telling a paper about affairs with politicians. He tells police he's got information about the recent suicide of a Conservative MP. That story falls apart when he's questioned. And he admits he's made it all up. So, fantasist, broken kid, con man orphan. You still wonder where he's going to end up. Problem is, does anyone still care? He goes to America, to New Zealand, never finding a home, never staying still. He finds out his foster mother Betty has died. One more protector gone. He comes back to England for the funeral, hoping him and his brother John might talk again. That doesn't happen either. Who cares? No one. That's how it feels He coaches a tiny team in the US called Maryland Mania Mania's owner is a man called AJ Alley He tells Nick Baker, that's the author of New's biography That New is still all questions Why would he been abandoned as a child? Why is his brother forsaken him? Why is he gay? How have things ended up this way? He's a man in his mid-thirties but Fashanu seems childlike, baffled by the world, playing without rules, trying to work out the real him. It's March 1998. He has a small party at his flat. The next morning, a 17-year-old boy who stayed the night tells his mother Fashanu sexually assaulted him. Fashanu gets questioned by detectives. He denies everything. He agrees to blood tests and lie tests. The detectives soon learn what everyone has to learn. Fashionu's stories always have holes in them. He even denies he's gay. And what does Fashionu do when he's in trouble? He moves. The day after the cops see him, he's gone. Back to England. He tells the club owner the boy's trying to frame him. He says the cops won't give him a chance, so they charge him anyway. First and second degree assault. Second degree sexual assault. That could mean 20 years in prison. Then the police do two things. They put out an arrest warrant, and they put out a press release. Tabloids aren't turning this one down. One in Britain goes with this. Fashionu manhunt over boy sex charge. Here's how their rival paper sells it. Sex rap gay fash vanishes. Reporters catch up with John Fashionu, now a big-name TV presenter. There's no mercy here. I do not have a clue where he is. It does not interest me one iota what he does. Fashanu goes back to Norwich. He turns up at a monastery in Leicestershire. Someone else there describes him like this. A nice, happy man with sadness in his eyes. They say he prays day and night for four days. Moving, always moving. Into a rented room in North London one more phone call back to AJ Ali in Maryland. You don't forget these sort of calls. Here's what Ali remembers. He wanted to make sure that I knew he didn't rape this guy, that they did have sexual relations, but it was consensual. So this is Justin Fashionu, millionaire footballer, fantasist, Christian, gay, chased by the tabloids, wanted by the police, no mother, no father, not wanted by his brother. Only one escape left. So he packs his bag with his diary and his pen and he goes to Chariot's Roman Spa in East London. This is what it says in that final note. I feel abandoned. I feel alone. I will not get a fair trial because I'm gay. These are the exact words he writes in that garage with the tyres and the noose. I wish that I was more of a good son, brother, uncle and friend, but I tried my best. This seems to be a really hard world. I hope the Jesus I love welcomes me home. I will at last find peace. Fashionu's body, along with his note, is found the next day. Peace, maybe, in a way. But mayhem too. From the tabloids, headlines about romps, about gay orgies. From that soap star he'd been seeing? Talk about betrayal, how about his lies had caught up with him? A more serious paper says there's been medical tests on his alleged victim. They've shown evidence of sexual assault. The boy himself tells reporters Fashion News cheated justice. There's a newspaper for the gay community called The Pink Paper. They do an editorial on rumours about fashion New and what they call very young men. Other papers talk to old teammates and friends. They hear about a man who was flamboyant, funny, generous, a gentleman, sensitive to, confused, selfish, impossible to know. There's a funeral. His brother John is there. The reconciliation happens too late. John says, we are still in severe shock. Here's what's written on a wreath. The only thing for sure is that you're free at last, free and still fascinating. Who cares? A lot of people, even if it's too late for Fashionoo. You look back now and maybe you feel better about us and our world today. This wouldn't happen now. We're not as racist, not as homophobic. Hmm, maybe. There are plenty of out gay women footballers. Megan Rapino, she's a gay icon, captain of the US team that wins World Cups, cool, outspoken. Men? Since Fashion Who came out in 1990, There's only two active male pros who've done the same. It's never happened in England, not in four divisions with 92 clubs. There's a couple who've done it after retiring. US international Robbie Rogers is one. He also said it would have been impossible when he was still playing. A world that has moved on, but stayed the same too. Maybe football needs a gay hero, A trailblazer like Jackie Robinson, the first black man to play Major League Baseball. He's probably out there. The fact he's still in the closet is about fear. Fear of abuse. Fear of rejection. Fear of not being understood. Not much different to Justin Fashionu's story, after all. And that's the story of Justin Fashionu. It was written by Ben Durs and performed by me, Emma Clark. The music featured in this podcast is provided by our partner BMG Production Music. Our editor was Phil Brown. There are more episodes in this series available to listen to now, but we'd also like to recommend Death of a Rockstar, which is based around the lives of Whitney Houston, Freddie Mercury, Otis Redding, Amy Winehouse, and so many more of the names that mean so much to us. Death of a Rockstar is released on October the 1st, my personal recommendation is the episode about Michael Hutchins, one of the most charismatic frontmen there ever was. Trust me, his story is an incredible one. Thanks for listening. Crowd Network, a place where you belong.
0: You'll get actionable lessons to help you become a better runner every week and reach goals you never thought possible, whether you're training for your first 5k or your 50th marathon, take along the planted runner on your next run. Let me show you how your best running is still ahead of you. Get ready race fans, because the ultimate NASCAR experience is about to hit the airwaves. Welcome to pit pass NASCAR, the podcast that takes you
1: deep into the heart pounding world of NASCAR racing. Join us each week as we bring you closer to the NASCAR action with exclusive interviews and all the news and rumors you need with your favorite drivers, team members, and industry insiders. So whether you're a fan of super
0: speedways, short ovals, or road racing, or you've just watched Talladega Nights, Pit Pass NASCAR is the podcast you've been waiting for. Get ready to fuel your passion for NASCAR like never before. Subscribe now to Pit Pass NASCAR on your favorite podcast platform, or head to evergreenpodcast.com and get ready to join us. Launching in the fall on Evergreen Podcast Network. Follow us on social media at pitpass underscore NASCAR to stay up to date with everything
1: you need to know about the podcast.
0: Hi, listeners. We wanted to take a moment to tell you about another podcast from Evergreen Podcasts and sound talent media called Pit Lane Parlay. Pit Lane Parlay is the go-to podcast for IndyCar and motorsports related news. Each episode, we discuss things like our favorite drivers, news clips from the last week, And generally giving each other a hard time about predictions we've made in the past and or life stories that have come up recently. We really have a lot of fun with it and really enjoy each other's company. And we hope you can come join us too. join Pit Lane Parlay by following us on your favorite podcast today.